Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. We are in the start of the 2024 Australian Open. Extra day this year, extra tennis to bring to the masses. Uh, And I guess this week, a bonus episode. We're doing two shows during the Australian Open. So a bonus episode to start us off down under. His second time on the show, he's an established tennis journalist previously at places such as the New York Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer, now spearheading the excellent coverage at The Athletic. It's Matt Futterman back again at the show. Matt, joining us from Melbourne, Australia, the grounds of the Australian Open. Thanks for coming back on Tennis Channel Inside In. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a lot to get to. The extra day, a lot of tennis going on. There's just so many fascinating storylines early. Uh, I want to start with this, you know, based on some of the pieces that you've written in the lead-up to this event. You know, the excitement factor, and I think you put it in a pretty good context that this is a unique aspect in a unique sport. Why fans should get so excited for the Australian Open. Imagine having a Super Bowl in the third week of the season. So your notes on that and your ability to kind of tell that story, I just wanted to expand on that a little bit. Why fans should be not just excited for tennis in general, but for this tournament. It is It is a unique Aspect. I mean, not, it's not completely alone. I guess the only thing I would I could compare it to is, you know, NASCAR starts off with the Daytona 500, which is the biggest race of the year. Um, not that I'm a massive NASCAR fan, but I remember thinking that was I remember thinking that was weird when I when there was a time in my professional life I had to pay attention to this. So, you know, ideally, I'm not sure it's the greatest idea to have the Australian Open in week three of the season because then the Grand Slam season kind of goes away for several months. Uh, you see in golf that they kind of they've got a really nice sort of compact Grand Slam season in golf, which is, you know, which seems to work pretty well. And they even put the players championship in there. Um, so, but this Australian open, you know, you have so many good, you have a lot of great stories. You have a lot of comeback stories. You have, you know, older players, younger players. And I can say that like on the first day, my two massive takeaways was, were one, the incredible quality that there is now and and depth um which you know it just was very striking and also how the style of play is really evolving and how aggressive it's getting yeah it's very well said i think some of the matches on both tours we saw high level play early which is i wouldn't even say to be expected you have to come into these tournaments in great shape you don't have a lot of lead up some players which we'll get to did not even play a tournament but here we are with that extra day of tennis which you know, you kind of noted wasn't really exactly the player's idea, but it ended yeah. up uh, giving us tennis Saturday night in the in the states. So I think we'll take it, but I understand that it's not exactly unified, uh, unanimously approved. Yeah, and I guess the you know the, the the ridiculousness of it was shown immediately that it was sort of it was peddled as oh this is going to be great this is going to stop all these you know it lower the possibility of late starts. Arena Sabalenka took the court. And, 
you know, about 1130 last night after the four hour Novak match. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, that sort of yeah. revealed the lie yeah. anyway. Um, this was a way to get, you know, I think they had nearly 90,000 fans here yesterday. Um, not a great ticket, I would say. And if, you know, because there were so few matches and the, the, the lines or queues as they call them down here um, to get into the uh, stadiums that were not, you mm-hmm. know, Margaret Court or yeah. John Kane or, or, or uh, Rod Laver that are ticketed, those are really, really long. So I don't know what's great value unless you had one of those tickets, but you know, you're outside, it's summer, people drinking beer. It's, it seems like they were, nobody was too cranky about it. Yeah, it's always just nice to have, especially the Australian crowd going, getting involved and getting invested in the tennis. The quality of play certainly helps that. There's a lot of different storylines to get to. I want to start with, you know, the, the biggest shadow down there being Novak Djokovic. He's won the tournament 10 times. He still looks as fit as ever. He had an opening match last night that was remarkable stuff to watch against 18-year-old Dino Prismic from Croatia, junior Roland Garros champion, champion last year. Uh, gave Novak a match and gave him a great match and fought and played four hours of tennis and did not fade. Took Novak to reach another gear to beat him. No shame in that. But that match, a lot of things stuck out to me. The first thing I wanted to say is this kid, Dino Prismich, I know it's one match, Matt, but looks like he has something special. And I came away from it delighted and intrigued to see where he goes from here. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was something to watch. And it looked like I mean, first of all, for a while, he was a better player. I mean, there was a good, I don't know, hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes or something like that, where he was just better than Novak. And it wasn't like he was redlining either. I mean, they were just like going toe to toe. He was still making some errors here and there. It wasn't one of those crazy things where he was pulling off these miraculous shots. He was just sort of standing in the middle of the ring and trading punches with him. And, you know, Dino Prismatch Jr., Roland Garros champion, that sounds good, but like, you know, Tommy Paul was junior Roland Garros champion in 2015, has like his breakthrough into the top 30, top 20 in 2023. Like, you know, just it doesn't doesn't generally happen at 18 that you're you garner so much respect and you just saw Novak was just blown away by how good this kid was, how good his attitude was, how fearless he is, how unbelievable that backhand was. I mean, he felt, he said, I mean, he put it best. He said, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. Yeah. And we know Novak is going to give credit out when it's earned. And I appreciate that as well. He's not just going to throw compliments off that unless you've proven to him, which this kid did. There was that adjustment period early when you're playing the best where it's, you're able to make sure that you can adjust to playing a player of anyone's caliber that good, let alone Novak Djokovic. But delighted to see, and you do, as you mentioned, just the final note on Dino, Matt, he's got areas he can improve. The serve can get better. There's things that can get better, but the granite's there. Uh, for Novak, and in that perspective, we came in wondering how fit he was going to be. The wrist injury was out there, looked pretty fine, and it was another example of not playing his best tennis but doing just enough down the stretch to grind his opponent down and win. And one thing we know, Matt, is in these tournaments, no one knows the two-week process better than Novak Djokovic, and I would suspect that he will only ramp up from here. Yes, yeah, certainly. But he, I mean, he went, he had to go to a place where he did not expect to go last mm-hmm. night. I mean, yeah. that was, he, he did not expect to be pushed like that. This was not, 
nice player stealing a set or yeah. Holger Rune at the U.S. Open a few years ago in the first round where it was just a matter of time before Holger sort of cracked. I mean, he was, I mean, he was thinking, he was thinking this might not be my night. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. and, it, and, you know, and I was thinking, well, 18 year old qualifier, I guess it's the biggest upset in, in the first round against a 10 time champion. I guess it's the biggest upset in Grand Slam history. Like, yeah. you know, recency bias aside, but it was neat and it, it was neat to see. And also what it made me, it made me even more comfortable in my thought that, you know, people come up to me and they're like, so how long, you know, how, how many, how many Grand Slams is, is Alcaraz going to win? Is he going to beat Novak's record? And I'm always like, I see so much quality that mm -hmm. like I could see Alcaraz having a great career and winning 12 Grand Slams yeah. because there's people like Sinner, there's people like Dino Prismas, there's people like who knows you there's people like, you know, that are yeah. going to appear over the next year. The quality, like yeah. I said, is just I mean, it, every time, every big tournament I get more. Yeah. Wow, there's just really good, really great players. I mean, Taylor Fritz, you know, had a death match yesterday with <laughs> Yeah. Facundo Diaz Acosta. And he said, you know, he said he went to the he went to the net after and shook his hand and he just said, you know, you are really effing good. <laughs> and so and he just you know, he didn't expect Facundo right. Diaz Acosta to like push him that hard on on a hard court, which is like where Taylor thrives. I mean, you know, you see Argentinian, you think, oh, probably a dirt baller and you know, right. uh, but I mean, he was pushed to the edge as well. So just again like quality is there's quality everywhere and and tough tests from the beginning tiafo played born at george in the first well round. yeah and then that was the there's a couple men's guys that you got to that i want to really expand upon and, and the Djokovic thing i think is good just to put a bow on him he seemed like he was in a positive place yesterday he's got potentially alexi popperin who will have the crowd support there it was just good to see that novak didn't you know get rattled and didn't seem you know rattled by the fact that he was playing a player that gave him all that he can handle. But I agree, and we're not going to, we're never going to, you know, criticize someone who wins 12 grand slams as an underachiever if Alcaraz has that kind of career. So I'm with you, Lockstep. There. Yeah. As, yeah, he's, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's going to be something to watch. As far as Taylor Fritz goes, and that's one of the players you mentioned, uh, that match was a war. That is the true epitome of, in that March Madness style college basketball reference there, survive in advance. Fritz had a first set that didn't go his way, had an ankle injury that had to get worked on, was playing a player that he said is very good and wanted to make known that, you know, give this guy credit, he played well. Fritz just found a way to get through, and we saw it in the relief after the match, Matt, that sometimes it's not even about what you're doing out there tactically. It's just fight, hang in there, and find a way to get through. That was, that was telling for Taylor Fritz to me that, you know, Australia has been, as you know, the last two years, kind of a house of horrors for him. That was a very emotional win. Oh, emotional and draining. I mean, I was supposed to talk to him after one-on-one, -on -one and, and he came in and talked to did the news conference, and then at some point, and then after it was over, a, it was like, you know, sort of looked like, oh, we were supposed to talk, and I just looked at him, and I said, go to sleep. <laughs> I was like, you, you know what? He played for four hours. He looked, honestly, he looked like he was going to fall into his yeah. microphone in the news conference, and... You know, it was just, uh, he was, he was drained and, and exhausted and, um, you know, played pretty sharp, but, you know, he said he'd, he said he walked on pretty confident cause he hit it pretty hard since the United cup, I guess, uh, 
um, you know, Michael Russell, his coach, uh, who was known for some torturous workouts, put him through some torturous training the last 10 days to make sure he would uh, stay sharp because it's been a little while, you know, because they got eliminated early. So it's been a little while. Um, so maybe that came into it, his, a bit of his slow start. He, you know, he had to get better throughout the match. And yeah, I mean, I think there is a, there is a lot of, uh, there are, I mean, any player will tell you, you know, just, just survive your first round match and then you can, and then you can go ahead with the rest of it. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. More with Matt Futterman here on Tennis Channel Inside and uh, his fellow American who you alluded to earlier, Francis Tiafo, wins a very sharp match for him over Borna Chorich. The quality of that match was just exceptional, and the draw that Tiafo got, and I think that's where I want to start this part of the conversation, Matt, is that he drew a tough hand in Borna Chorich, a former Masters champion in the first round. He was playing a guy who brought it early on, and there were some moments in that match that didn't quite go his way, a let court on break point, certain things that didn't quite you know, go, some loose games on his end, but he dug in, he stayed focused, and there is something to be said about that for Tiafo, who's been known at time to have some dips. That was a very clean win over a very game opponent. What I thought was, what also struck me was that he was, he knew, Francis knew exactly what he was in for, which was, and he was ready for it. You know, he was clear, he clearly knew that this was not going to be, you know, two hours and a good night's sleep. Like Borna was there to do what Borna does, which when he's, and he had rough, he had a rough time last year where he was really struggling to learn earn, to win matches. Uh-huh. You know, Borna's winning matches again. Borna is going to be there for as long as you could. Yeah. He, he, for as long as, as you're going to be there. He has an engine, unlike few people in the tour. He spends more time in the gym than just about anybody. I mean, his he has his muscles have muscles so you are not you know he is uh and francis yeah he just stood in there yeah fourth set dropped a little bit but you know it's probably maybe slightly lucky to win the second set born ahead you know he kind of gave away some opportunities could have been a little more dangerous but you know he he sharpened up and uh showed that he's he's ready for this Knowing what he's in for is well put because last year, as we know, in the match against Hatchinoff, had a 6-1 lead in a tiebreak, lost that set, lost the match as a result. So knowing start to finish, you have to be locked in. And also, got to say with Francis, Tiafo at night, Tiafo after dark is kind of becoming a thing because he's doing a great job of playing smart tennis, but that showman's always there. And you see when he plays, the crowds really take to him regardless of what continent he's on. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Francis is uh, is no stranger to the small hours of the morning, um, in, in in tennis and in life. Uh, so uh, he's he's very comfortable in that atmosphere. But again, when I was referring earlier to the sort of shift in style, you know, I would point to him very quickly. He was coming in. I didn't look at the numbers, but you could just see yeah. how the urgency mm-hmm. that um, Diego Maiano is the, the new coach he's working with. I guess the new old coach he's working right. with because Diego was there back when those when those guys were kids. Um, and, you know, the urgency that he is trying to get forward in the court is is, you know, it's a striking difference from what he was doing all last year. He mentioned it in Hong Kong and uh, it's it's nice to see him sort of like he, he came in with a game plan and he and he yeah. and he pursued it. Well, somebody else that you've covered that would have been the biggest upset of the day in either tournament and uh, would have been an outright catastrophe, but was avoided. Andre Rublev holds on against Thibaut Schwild in that five set match. That was two sets. The love looked like it was a standard routine Rublev day at the office until it wasn't. Rublev had a bunch of match points. Didn't convert on any of them. Went to a tiebreak. Wins. Drops down to his back to you know have that emotional release. But it's a guy that's been open about his struggle, as you've covered for mental peace and and dealing with his emotions, which he does in a very public, some would say relatable method. But Rublev hung in there again. It wasn't pretty, and it would have been a disaster. But full marks to him for just getting to the finish line. Yeah, that was definitely a case of you know you saw why. You saw why one guy is ranked below 100 and has to qualify to get into these tournaments and the other guy is number five. I mean, you know, when it got super tight and the match was there for Tiago to take, you know, his arm just got a little tight. You know, like Rublev, his arm just got tight and his serve changed. And Rublev said, like, I got lucky. I, I, I got lucky. He gave me, uh, you know, he gave me a bunch of second serves, and you know, there's a reason he gave him a bunch of second serves is because he didn't hit the he didn't hit the first mm-hmm. serves when it counted, and Rublev hit first serves when he when he needed to in that tiebreaker. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I was but I was super impressed at the way he didn't sort of hit the panic button uh, the way he has at times. What's something you've kind of, I guess, learned or observed from being around Rublev and seeing? Because we can all see it on the outside, right? How passionate he is and how emotional he is and how that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing at times. And as he's progressed and his ranking has gotten steadily better, but he's still searching for that first Grand Slam, first Grand Slam final. What's, you know, something you've learned from being around Rublev? It's just that great contrast of, you know, I mean, as he puts it, he looks at tapes of himself on the court and he doesn't recognize himself because it's completely not him. And, you know, he is, he is the, he's like the sweetest, most soft-spoken, self-deprecating guy there is. I mean, you've not, you, I, I don't know, maybe there's someone on the tour who's got bad things to say about Rublev. I haven't met him yet. Um, and he's just, you know, he's so well liked, and I think Daniel, you know, put it mm-hmm. best when he said he's the kindest person in tennis. And he gets on the court, and he, you know, makes some mistakes as everybody does on the court, and he struggles to be kind to himself. It's almost like if he treated himself as well as he treats other people, he would, be, you know, he would he would be there. And and the other thing is just so striking is how much it 
bothers him when he loses control because he knows he shouldn't be losing control. He's not one of these people, you know, you go back to McEnroe who's, you know, and Connors, you can talk chapter and verse about how they could use, you know, anger and, and Djokovic too, you know, how they improve, they raise their level sometimes and sort of wakes them up. Yeah, it doesn't go that way with your bluff. He starts getting angry and he goes down the death spiral mostly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, and it's, you know, if you're his opponent and you see it's happening, you know, you just sort of sit there and watch it and, you know, and he, he knows that he knows all of this and he's working on it and, yeah. you know, trying to get to a point where he's, uh, he, he can control it better. Well, we just, you know, we appreciate the passion. We just don't want to see him hurt himself out there. That's the, that's the one thing. Exactly. Just that racket I mean, can it, be a weapon. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that bloody knee in Turin was just, yeah. I mean, you watching yeah. him hit himself yeah. with his racket and that was sort of, yeah. that was over the edge. That was something, that was something you don't see pretty much ever. I mean, you see people break rackets on their, you know, on the court, do things like that. You don't see people, you know, harm themselves that way all that often. Well, I want to switch to the women and talk about some storylines there for a few. And uh, the number one for me, we got to give props to, is uh, taking out the 13th seed was Amanda Anisimova. Beat Samsonova in straight sets. It's not so much the win, which was impressive. Obviously, wasn't Samsonova's best match. There was the comeback in the second set. But this whole process for Annie Samova, Matt, to find that she was ready to play tennis, took a mental break, has had a lot going on personal and injury-wise in her life, takes the time off and picks up where she left off last year after a successful run in Australia, takes out a top 13 seed, looks pretty good, and more than anything, more importantly than anything, Matt, looks like she's enjoying tennis. Yeah, I think she's sort of like at a certain level of peace. I mean, for 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 those people who are not sort of familiar with her story, I mean, her father was her coach and had a, I think had a sudden heart attack, you know, at rather a young age, I think he was about 50 or so. And, um, and she was 19, 20, something like that. And, you know, I think it, it, you go through something like that. And, you know, I, I, I think like how, when, when you've gone through an experience like that, how is it, that walking onto a tennis court just doesn't automatically make you sad it, it, you, because your associations with, I mean, I know people who don't, who don't have that relationship with their parent, who nevertheless, you know, in terms of like a, a parent and a coach and spending all that time together, you know, lose a parent at an early age. And it's something that just, identi it, it's, it's your identity for the rest of your life. And I don't say that in a, in a bad way, like not getting over it, because it's not something you ever get over. It just becomes a part of you. And so, you know, she took this time off. I think it's probably something she should have done, you know, years ago. You know, maybe it would have helped, um, you know, the grieving process. It, 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 it's almost like, I almost sort of feel like maybe you know, maybe she took the time finally to really grieve, you know, without trying to be a professional tennis player at the same time. And she just seems to be breathing a little easier, you know, um, thing, you know, she's going to win matches. She's going to lose matches. She started, she said, she's, you know, talking about yesterday, accepting that. Um, so yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, sure. It's great to see her winning a match, but it's just honestly good to yeah. see her being able to do something she loves and that she's been doing since she was a child. 
another one right where we do this in tennis and sports all the time. I can't believe how young someone is still just 22 years old. Feels like she's been around forever. Uh, and it's, it's great. As you said, I agree with all those points. Great that she's there and has found joy in the game again. I still go back to when I did watch her practice a few years ago. She was one of the best pure ball strikers I've seen. You see a lot of the skill set that's there. And we think and we hope we'll only get better as more match toughness develops. So props to her. I wanted to give her some credit as the rest of the women are starting up. And last night was the first night we've got some more matches, some upsets really today as we record this. But looking at it from the top of the field, Matt, and I guess your perspective going into this, does it feel like there is... I guess going into this tournament, a big four situation on the women's side. Does it feel like there's those top four, Iga, Sabalenka, who won handily last night, Rabakina and Coco, who just won as we record this. Does it feel like they're on a perch a little tier above the rest of the field? I mean, I think they are until they aren't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, you know, someone, someone was asking me, for instance, you know, can we were talking about Pagula and someone said like, well, could Pagula ever win a grand slam? And I said, well, look who's won grand slams on, <laughs> yeah. the, in, on the women's side over the last few years. Like, of course she can win a grand slam. Like if Marketa Von Drozova can win a grand slam from, I don't know what she was ranked at the, <laughs> yeah. at the time, let's say in the forties, something like that. Um, then of course Pagula right. can win one. Like, will the draw go her way? You know, will that, you know, things have to happen. For sure. Um, you know, but I, I mean, Svitolina looks incredible right now. Um, yeah. Is she ready? It, you know, if, if, if we get to the middle of next week and, you know, Coco, Rabakina, Sabalenka, and Iga are still standing, like, is it likely that one of them... <laughs> Right. probably going to win it, yeah but you know there's there's still there's a good bit of quality out there i yeah. mean i wouldn't want to play Layla fernandez in, oh. in you know in, in an early round um you know you're going to be in for a battle with her she's playing much more aggressively uh seems to have found you know mm-hmm. found some answers right um you know Naomi Osaka, you want to play Naomi? You, you, you want to play Naomi Osaka on Saturday after she's got a few matches under her belt? Um, this is assuming she yeah. can beat Caroline Garcia tonight. But um, so you know, it's a, it's like I said, there's a big four until there isn't. Yeah, a lot of names there. I wanted to touch on, and uh, you know, starting with the defending champ Sabalenka, she looked great last night. The test will only increase from here. But the question with her is dealing with the pressure and. You know, there is a comfort that she's won here before, but I do wonder, Matt, I think we'll see how she handles defending this title. But that said, I think there is a possibility that this could be the comfort zone for her because she doesn't have the scar tissue and the not winning it that she has at the other majors because she was the most consistent player in majors last year. But this would be the first time she's ever had to defend a major title. Well, I'm pretty sure she's not going to face an Australian in the final. Okay, like yeah. that. So that's a, <laughs> I mean, plus. unless some miracle yeah. happens and Storm yeah. Hunter, who won today, yeah. um, somehow makes it through or, or someone like that. But so, you know, I mean, if she's not facing a hometown favorite in the U.S. Open, she probably has a little better shot um, than playing Coco. So, I mean, I think that, you know, that helps her. I think the court, the court's, here are just set up so perfectly for her and Rabakina. 
um, you know, they, they're like medium <laughs> fast and they just, those flat hitters, yeah. it just, the ball just kind of shoots through the court in a way that Iga's ball last year did not. I don't know what, you know, maybe she, she's making some tweaks in her forehand and tweaks in her serve. Um, so, you know, we'll see, but, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm still a little shocked that Rebecca lost that final last year, but she was obviously right there. Right. And if she was going to lose to anyone, it was going to be to mm-hmm. something of a carbon copy of herself in, in Sabalenka. Yeah, Iga the last two years, and she's looked unreal, winning all her matches at the United Cup this year, but losing to Rebecca and losing to Danielle Collins, the theme being big hitters who've had a little more pace and the ball is kind of shooting off of her racket. So we'll see. Iga's just so rock solid. And Coco being one, Matt, who... You know, the news came out, you know, the serve is getting some lessons from Andy Roddick and she's tweaking it up a little bit. And this is the reigning major champion heading into this. She won the last one, won the last one on hardcore as well. But, you know, if the serve gets better and this is somebody that's already an accomplished champion, but that would be something that could propel her to even greater heights. Yeah, look, she's Coco's going to get better. I mean, I, I think she was right when I think around last year at this time, she said she was like. 65% of herself, um, or somewhere around that, uh, somewhere around that, uh, that range. You know, she's gotten better. She's probably put herself at like 75% now, but Coco's gonna, Coco's, Coco's just gonna get better and people are gonna have to deal with it. She's 19 years old, you know? Um, it's, it's inevitable that, that she's gonna keep working. She does not, I mean, she said the other day she wants to win double digit slams. I mean. <laughs> I want to win double digit slams. Be nice. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm going to. I think she's probably got a much better chance than I do. But still, I mean, if you think about it, like you know, think of great players. Most of them did not win double digit mm-hmm. slams. But that's her. But that's her. You know, Venus Williams doesn't have double digit slams. I know. Maria Sharapova doesn't have double digit slams. Kim Kleister doesn't have double digit slams. I mean, you know, these are these are some pretty good players, and so. If you want to, if she, if you understand where her, where her mind is in terms of what, she, where she wants to get, and she knows you don't just get there, you, yeah. you, you, you got to go there. Wrapping up here with Matt Futterman on Tennis Channel Insight, and uh, starting off the second day of the Australian Open, uh, want to discuss a few more players and then just put a bow on this discussion, let you get back to outstanding work down there in Melbourne. But Naomi Osaka, a player you referenced here and a player you wrote a recent piece on, her, re- her return to the court, played a couple lead-up events, you know, was on a, played a lead-up event, was not able to beat Pliskova in her second match, but is back playing tennis, saying and doing all the right things, enjoying the process of being a tennis player, and she drew Caroline Garcia in the first round. So that's what that reward gets you as a very tough player in the first round of a very deep WTA field. But your thoughts on how she's doing, getting the chance to interview her and be around her, and also her prospects going into this match with Garcia and what could happen after that. I think she's thinking, yeah, I drew Carolyn Garcia, and and she's thinking how miserable Carolyn Garcia is for drawing her. Mm. I mean, it, it, there's no, there's no player whose you know ping pong ball was in the was in the in the bowl that a seeded player, you know, wanted to draw less than Naomi, um, especially after you know, especially especially after 
what you know i think most people would say was a pretty darn good uh, you know a pretty darn good first couple of matches you know yeah she didn't win the second she lost in three sets to puska but puska's a good puska's is a hell of a good player and um you know there's no shame in that yeah you know it's just a matter of like her match readiness and mm -hmm. and you know but the tennis is there there's no question the tennis is there the movement is there she does so many things so well and she's won here twice before you know this is she's walking on to rod labor and the last you know uh, not the last time she was here, but you know, not long ago when she was here, she was, you know, raising a trophy. So um, she's a hell of a player. And, you know, she, she beat Serena here. You know, I mean, like she's, she's done it all. She's, yeah. she's, in a, she's in a good spot. I think, you know, a lot of people would love to see her um, make some noise in this tournament. She knows how to win here. Uh, she sees her picture when she walks onto court and so do the opponents that she play sees that Naomi Osaka trophy thing twice uh as they walk out so I'm with you there I think the process is only going to get better and there is something to be said for both the men and the women if you have a tough draw early but you win that match you come in really match tested and ready to roll so I'm excited to see that matchup that's going to be a barn burner as well I had to ask you too before we finished up here the uh Maria Sakri news of her changing her racket. I don't think that got enough uh, discussion because that was a pretty big, you know, a player that's been through the gauntlet emotionally, a very emotional player, still, you know, had that breakthrough but looking for Grand Slam success. But for her to change her racket after 10 years using the same stick is kind of a big deal, I would think. I, yeah, I think it's a big deal. I also, I also think when she was explaining it, I asked her about it, and I was kind of amazed that she hadn't changed before yeah. that was I and mean, that's what was amazing to me because she said she'd been using the same racket for 10 years like look at <laughs> pictures of maria sacri yeah. 10 years ago she doesn't look like maria these days so like it would only it would only make sense that she would have changed her racket as she got stronger i mean she said i you know i'm using a very i was using a very powerful racket i don't need that much power anymore i needed what i needed was more control and when I heard that, I was like, yeah, like, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I was kind of amazed that like no one said that to her or no one suggested to her, but I guess she was having good success. And so, um, she didn't, you know, and it is, people are very comfortable with people get very comfortable when with their rackets. Um, but you know, I mean, she's almost, she's what she's almost 30 years old at this point i mean using the same tool at 30 that you use at 20 seems different you know yeah. it seems interesting um especially as your body changes i would I, I would think more people i would think more people whose body changes like that would would make some changes along those lines She's somebody that's been on the doorstep in the top 10 so long. Uh, it's going to be a very fascinating run for her this year in Australia to start out. Uh, Matt Futterman from The Athletic. Make sure you catch all of his articles and stuff there during this entire Australian Open run. Uh, before I let you go, anything else that stands out? We didn't get to players that have stood out or things you're looking forward to. Uh, as we record this now, Medvedev is down a set, so we're going to timestamp that. Korda and Shelton are in action, uh, leading their respective matches uh, and we saw Vondrasova lose to Yastremska as well uh, in thorough fashion for Yastremska. But those results or anything else stand out to you so far? 
Uh, yeah, look, I'm just looking, you know, you know me, I'm just looking forward to watching Arthur Feast take the court yeah. um, and see how, and see how far he, see how far he can go because at one of these things, he's going to suddenly go far and, um, it's just a matter of which one it's, go I think. Um, and so it's just a matter of which one it's going to be. Um, I also, I think I would, I'm, you know, circling matches that, uh, Demonar is playing um because it's just you know he's had a great run the last few weeks he's coming into his favorite tournament he's got 30 million you know a country of 30 million strong paying attention and and behind him and you know if there's if there's what fifteen thousand people in rod labor arena it's going to sound like 50 when he's playing and so i think seeing him seeing this new sort of demonar 3.0 version who's not just running sideways but is as has definitely added some power to his game and mm -hmm. some pop um seeing that version on the big stage he's you know you can tell he's just like frothing at the mouth to do it and so i'm looking forward to seeing that i can't wait it's been a long time coming from demon hour to get into the top 10 and yes the power is there uh, it's going to be exciting. And uh, remember to timestamp all these discussions because the results in the tennis just keep changing. Uh, Matt Futterman, always a pleasure. We're going to check out all your stuff on The Athletic as well as your commentary on Twitter, on social media going forward. But thanks for joining Tennis Channel Insight, and you're always welcome. And I feel like I can speak for the audience. We all learned something here in You Talk Tennis. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. That was Matt Futterman. This was Tennis Channel Insight In. We're on all your podcast platforms. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, to name a few. We're back next Thursday. More Australian Open to cover, more results, more outstanding guests such as Matt Futterman. I'm Mitch Michaels, your host. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later in the week. Enjoy the tennis, everyone.